This is the Ezra podcast. Talking about TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sanhagen. And we have a little bit of controversy, but I think it's more complicated than that. I don't think it's controversy. I don't think it's a robbery. I think it's confusion. I think it's mass confusion over boxing, MMA, judging, and it's it's going to continue to peak its ugly head. And it has been boxing for years. And it's, you know, it's been in MMA, but now there's confusion on what people are seeing or how people are scoring it. And that's what really was the end result is TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen fight. Now it's the fight. TJ Dillashaw looked like TJ Dillashaw. I didn't think anything that was like, oh, he's slower. You know, he's off timing. Um, he looks a, a step off. No, he's not. He, he wasn't off at all. He looked like TJ Dillashaw. He looked like a prime TJ uh, Dillashaw. And that's credit. That's credit to him. That's Atticus. You know him. He's a co-host. Um, but that's that's really credit to him for all the time that he had off. He never let it slip. You could tell he was working his game. He was staying sharp. And he came in here against a very tough, uh, you know, contender. Uh, probably was up next for the title shot, Corey Sanhagen. And he brought elements to it. He brought multiple elements to his game. Now, going to this fight, I thought Corey Sanhagen was going to have the advantage because he didn't have a lot of extra movement on his punches or his strikes. And TJ Dillashaw does. He does have extra movement. He does do things that sometimes I think are just a waste of movement. I don't think it's even effective as like a feint or a fake. It's just sometimes he's just moving just to move. And I think Corey Sanhagen is kind of similar game to TJ, but he kind of eliminated a lot of the unnecessary movement. And I was somewhat right on like, so like the punches, when he threw like straight punches, they would get there first. And that he would, and he stood with just like the basic fundamentals of punching and striking. He was very effective in this fight. But I think that when he tried to get more creative and he had, the uh, you know, Cruz had brought up a good point that he had had like two highlight reel knockouts, you know, going uh, recently coming into this fight that, you know, you get, you get used to gambling because you it was effective for you, right? You don't want to eliminate that part of your game, and you want you like those flashy knockouts, and you get addicted to it. But I think that in this fight, TJ Dillashaw really took advantage of when he made those mistakes, when he did the spinning, when he did the jump flying knees, when he went for leg locks, and he tried to get something that was just gonna catch this guy off guard. And a lot of the bad the parts that he lost rounds was really due to him and due to mistakes that he made and. Sometimes, you know, it, sometimes it work. The moves work. Um, sometimes you set a guy up. But remember, the, um, Marlon Moraes, who, you know, at one point was a contender, but never got to that elite level, never beat elite guys. Uh, questionable win over Jose Aldo. And you got Frankie Edgar, who's definitely on the, you know, downside of his career. You kind of have to look at that and be like, okay, that worked against them. But is it going to work against a guy like, you know, that's a, a legit uh, former champion, a legit guy that's been in there that has beaten the best, you know, has had competitive fights against the best. Sometimes you got to say, I'm not going to pull those things out. And especially in how close this fight was, because he was still trying this stuff in a very competitive fight. It wasn't like a fight that he was a big on. It was a fight that was, it's like a basketball, right? A guy gets a, you know, a, a breakaway, a breakaway dunk, right? There's a difference if you're up 20, what you're going to do with it to, you know, in a game that you're down to. There's a very very big difference on what you're willing, what the NBA player should try to do in that position. Is he going to windmill it or is he just going to get, you know, a two-handed dunk and get the points, right? Is he going to go in between the legs, right? Maybe out 20, you might. Out 20, you might do that. But 
you know, down two, you definitely don't. Because if you miss that, right, that's that's in a closed game is going to be crucial. That's what kind of Corey Sanhagen to me was doing in this fight. He was doing things where I was like, it's too close to get away from this. The thing that I love that Dillashaw did is he brought, which I thought, what I said, right? I said he's going to look takedowns in this fight. He's going to he's going to bring different things to this game. And he did. And he brought in a, a multiple things to this game. He had like three to four different styles to fight in this this one. He came in with the standard style, right, where he's got a lot of movement, a lot of, uh, a lot of fakes, a lot of... Um, He's circling around you. He's setting up uh, different angles to get kicks off, to, to uh, switching to get different punches off. He was doing that. He was getting bested in that. I, to me, I was like, this isn't wasn't effective. It's exactly how I thought it would play out. That Sanhagen would just beat him to a lot of the positions, a lot of the spots he wanted to get to. Sanhagen would just beat him up to it. Then he started looking takedowns. Right, he started getting cage control. Started getting him against a, a gate. He held a you know a body lock on him, and then he got a t- he got a takedown. So that was another element to the game. So then Sanhagen had to worry about that. Then they get up, right, and he, he, he there's a point where he gets cut, and he kind of takes a beat in that round. Then he comes back, and he starts doing leg kicks, and he starts just destroying Sanhagen's leg. And Sanhagen really just, like, had no answer for it for a little bit. It took a little time for him to figure it out. I really believe he started doing that, too, because Sanhagen was not really stepping back from San, uh, from TJ Dillashaw. He was kind of switching. He was doing, like, a quick switch in front of him going backwards, which is good, but I think that Dillashaw just saw it enough. That he was just like, okay, where well, are you going to do that? I was like, kick the hell out of his leg if he stays right here. That's what he did. He started kicking the hell out of his leg. And though he brought all those different elements to his game, right? He brought all these different elements. And Dillashaw kind of got rid of all the extra movements at points, too. He just started coming forward, just started putting pressure. And I told you that the, both these guys' style is less effective when they're going backwards. And Dillashaw, in his wisdom, said, I'm going to push Sanhagen back. And we started pushing him back and a lot less movement and just started... You know, just started going at him, even though he had his knee popped at one point in the fight. He just bit down, right? And that's the whole thing, right? The the, the guys with leg injuries are talking about Connor with the Pori of the first fight and all those things. The, there's a different thing with heart, right? There's a, It's a skill that we don't talk about enough. It's not um, brought up pre-fight enough. But TJ Dillashaw had heart in this fight, and he was like, I'm going to bite down, cut, bad cut, bad knee. I'm bringing in everything I need to to win this fight to take this fight to steal these rounds he did now did i score him winning the fight i did but i think i scored him winning the fight because i just know how ufc uh judges score the fight now did i think san was more effective in the stand-up for the most part yes not saying that tj dillashaw wasn't effective in stand-up he was i just think of course was more effective so if i'm just going just who's more effective in the stand-up san wins the fight but then you got to add in when Dillashaw had him against the fence. And I know that, to me, that's just a position. I, if you do, Whether you do damage on there or you don't, to me, it shouldn't count. But I know how the UFC ref scored it. So, okay, he held them there against the fence for uh, moments of the round, right? He also landed key takedowns. Now, did he do much with the takedown? No, but he got takedowns. And I know UFC judges scored it. So I knew that when he did those in those rounds, he was probably going to get those rounds. Now, everybody calling robbery... It's a robbery if you judged it in if you judged it by just the strikes in the who landed the most effective strikes in the fight, I think it's Sanhagen. I think Corey Sanhagen wins the fight. But I, I guess robbery is like, you know, too loosely thrown around these days. Very very loosely thrown around these days. I it was a close fight. And I think that Sanhagen 
if he really wanted to solidify this fight, he needed he needed a round where he he needed one of the last two rounds to clearly say, "Hey, this is my round." And he never did that. It just always kind of stood competitive, and he always kind of let TJ Dillashaw get in on him and hold him against the fence at, at times. But people calling for robbery, and like especially like in the Macy Barber fight and all that, it's it's not robbery. It's just confusion on how to score these fights. Now, maybe I think the the fans were judging it correctly. In, in my mind, right? In my mind, they were judging it by damage done, by effective strikes. That's what they were judging it by. But the UFC judges have never judged it like that. They never have. They judge it on a takedown means a lot to them. Holding someone against a fence and controlling them against a fence means a lot to them. The positioning means a lot to the UFC judges, the MMA judges. It just does. It's why it puts a wrestler at a very big advantage. It's why it puts a guy that wants to, you know, um, press you against a fence at a very big, very big advantage. It's a position. It's just like the standard position in my mind, right? Just like getting distance from a guy's a position. That's what that is. But they count that way more. So I knew going. I knew at the end of this fight that TJ Dillashaw was going to win this fight. I knew it. I was like, the standup was competitive enough, and he had the takedowns in the cage control. And DC was having that, you know, for the first time ever, I've really heard DC talk about this, was debating that to himself. Was like, well, should this count as more than the punches that Corey Sanhagen has landed? This cage control, is it count as a takedown? What does it count as? Count as. And this is the talk that we're all having. And this is the same thing as Charlo Castano fights. It's the same thing in boxing. It's what means more, right? If a guy's going backwards, does that mean he's losing the fight that he doesn't want to fight? If a guy's going forward, does that mean he's pressing the fight? Does that mean he's controlling the fight? I think it all gets very confusing. I think it all should be judged off just who's landing the cleaner, most effective damage. Kicks, elbows, punches. I think that's the easiest way to judge it. And you start getting takedowns, start doing this. I think it puts the other guy at a disadvantage. I think it puts the wrestler at the big advantage. I think the guy that looks to take to the ground is at a humongous advantage because the scoring favors him. I think TJ Dillashaw looked really good in this fight. I think it was a very close fight. If he would have had it either way, I don't think it's a robbery. I just think it's a close fight, and you leave it to the judges, and you never are able to get it out to that next gear past the, your opponent. Well, you're you're up into the judges' hands right there. You're at their will at that point. And I don't think Sanhagen can really be mad about it because he never... First of all, he made a lot of big mistakes to me in the fight. But also, he never took control of the fight, ever, in this fight. Never at one point did I feel like he took control of it. He had his moments, and then in that round, Dillashaw would have his moments. The closest he, thing, the closest he had to taking control of this fight was the second round. Other than that, all the other rounds like were competitive. They were moments for both fighters. That's, that's exactly how this fight played out. I bet Corey Sanhagen. I thought Sanhagen was going to be... You know, he did a lot of things I thought he was going to do, but I just think that he had mental lapses and he, you know, got too creative and got away from what was really working. And someone had to really tell him, like, hey, the straight shots are working. The distance is working. Stick with that. Keep them in front of you. You know what I mean? If you do something spinning or you do something uh, trying to get the highlight reel, you're allowing him to gain that space. And that's what he needs. He needs to gain that space and you're giving it to him. No one ever told him that. And that's why Sanhagen lost his fight. And Dillashaw, whether you thought he won or lost, you got to make him look good. And you got to admit that he pushed through and he had he offered multiple different techniques, which is going to be tough for anyone. I think his stand-up is a little overrated. But I think that if he can now mix in takedowns, the clinch, 
um, all the all the other things he's adding in. And sometimes he just got away from all the other flashy stuff with just like, I'm going to come straight forward. And his hands look better than, honestly, when he was just coming straight forward. I think he's tough for anyone. And I think he's an interesting fight for anyone. I think that this weight still has two guys. I don't think this hurts Sanhagen. I think it raises his stock in a way. But he just going to stop him from getting a title shot right now, which is he thought he was probably close to. He thought he was probably close to a title shot. TJ Dillashaw came and took that spot from him. And he has to be pretty much next after Jan and um, uh, Aljamain Sterling go at it in their rematch. TJ Dillashaw is probably next for that, depending on how bad his knee is. You know, let's see how bad his knee is. We had a boxing fight. Joe Joyce versus Carlos Takam. And Joe Joyce was a huge favorite. And I bet him um, 500 grand to make 30, like three grand, I believe. And I think the odds, you know, when you look at these odds, right, you got to say they're judging the odds on the whole fight. They're saying that this whole fight, no matter what one round looks like, the odds are for the whole fight. They're saying this is the most likely outcome at the end of this fight. So I think when people are, see Carlos Takam and he came in and he started, you know, he was letting shots go. And more than Carlos Takam usually lets shots go. And from what I've seen, from what I even scouted out before this fight, what I was studying, Takam knew that Joe Joseph was going to be there. He knew that he wasn't like the, you know, most shiftiest mover. He wasn't, he, you know, uh, Joe Joseph is kind of like a slow, steady ship. He started letting go all his shots and he wanted to test his chin and he did. And I know that maybe it was more competitive than that one round or two first two rounds or three rounds or more competitive than people thought they were going to be, you know, especially considering the odds. But the odds weren't meant for the first three rounds. If the, if the fight was judged off three rounds, then the odds would probably be a lot closer because it'd be like, well, Takam's going to start off quick and he's faster. He's probably going to land some shots. The, the odds are for the whole fight. And I thought if you look at the whole fight, the odds made perfect sense of what they were. Joe Joyce got hit because I, I truly because I believe that he was looking to get in on Takam and get him out of there because he wanted to get him out of there earlier than Joshua did. And George Royce is going to get hit in fights. Now, I think he has a little bit, I think as the fight goes on, his defensive movements get a little bit better. He does little things to avoid getting hit. But he's going to get hit. And one of the best things about him is his chin. And the reason why we know his chin is so good is because it's been tested. And Takam went and unloaded everything and did not hurt Joyce, did not shake him, just landed, but Joyce just kept walking through, like, the, you know, this nickname, the juggernaut. And then he just starts putting little shots on you and straight shots and a heavy jab. And slowly you see Takam just, like, wilting away. And in the sixth round, his speed just picks up just a little bit and hits him with a three-piece combo, right? And it's a one-two left hook, and that left hook just... Puts to calm on shaky legs. And the left hook was slightly, you could consider it a jab. I mean, it's slight change from hook to jab. And he puts to calm on shaky legs. And then he just puts a calm, he just puts flurry on him. And I know people say that they thought it stoppage was early, but if you're not responding and you're just taking shots and the ref's warning you, you can fight so you can stop. You have to respond. You have to do something that shows you're still in that fight. I thought Takam was just taking a beating. Now, I was expecting him to go out. The ref jumped in, I think, before he was probably going to go out. And you know, I don't like, I don't mind that stoppage. And I think that those stoppages like that save fighters for another day. They save them from themselves. They, there was no need, honestly, to continue that round. It, we knew what direction it was going. You knew where that fight was going. 
it, it had shifted completely to calm, had nothing left. And once uh, Joe Joyce breaks you, and that's what he does, he breaks people. He touches them, and once he touches them, that final time the well breaks, it starts flooding, and he floods you with it. It just slow and steady. And he picked up his speed a little bit. Like, that combination, I wouldn't say is as slow as other shots. You know what I mean? Like, he picks he picks his moments where he can up the speed at least slightly. He's a problem for people. I keep telling you, he's a problem for people. And I told you this performance... You know, I thought it would be a boring decision fight. I thought Takam would be able to survive. Um, but he chose to fight a different style to try to win it. And I respect that. He tried to win that fight. He truly did. But I think people are going to say that, you know, Joe Joyce is slow. He's hittable. All those things. I already knew that. I tell you. Why do I say his best quality is his gym, is his jab and his steadiness and the strength in his shots. I mean, his jaw, I'm sorry. His, his jaw is one of his best qualities he has. Why do I say that? Because I've seen it tested. And if you're hitting him and he's not breaking and he's not folding, it not only does a mental thing on you, it does a physical thing, it does a lot of things, and you're just like, this guy's not going to go away. And he's slowly, stead- steadily landing shots on you. He's like George Foreman, old George Foreman. I don't expect a lot of guys to be clamoring to fight Joe Joyce. I really don't. And he's 36 years old or 37 years old. He's got to, you know, the next three years are really important to him. And I'm curious how they, you know, how they promote him going forward, how they match him up going forward, what opponents they find for him. But I'm I'm buying stock because I think he's a problem for everyone. I think my dream matchup for him is Dante Wilder. And it's like Dante Wilder's power versus Joe Joyce's chin. I, I kind of need to see it. There's... There's, you know, there's plenty of heavyweight fights for him. I wonder if Yoka is going to be like a future opponent for him, or they want to like use Yoka at that, or what, or just uh, you know lose one of their heavyweight prospects to each other. But they deal with uh, Dubois, and they don't really have a lot of, you know, they don't have a lot of moves really to make for Joe Joyce right now. They're gonna have to somehow make him mandatory for someone. But I really, I, I'm a fan of him. I think that he's better than, you know, he doesn't have those, those like, wow, you know, qualities, like the speed, power, head movement, uh, you know, like one of those guys, like, he, he moves all around the ring, don't get touched. He's not one of those guys. His stuff is very subtle, but I respect it. I like it. I think I think he looked very good. My fake money real bets, not the greatest outcome. I won the Joe Joyce one, which is about 30k i bet 500 i told you guys that was free money when the odds are like that so crazy you got to take it because they're telling you it's free money um i lost my hundred thousand dollar bet for the sanhagen dealership fight like i said uh, you're gonna lose bets but as long as um the way you thought it would play out was predominantly you know correct you that's how you feel good about a loss is that if it when it doesn't look anything like you thought this fight looked like what I thought. I thought that I did tell you that Dale Shaw was going to bring stuff to his game that he doesn't usually do. He's going to be more t- uh, takedown heavy, and that Corsair Hango is going to be more clean in the stand up and more effective. Th- those things happen, and it was a close fight. I did not feel bad about losing that bet. I felt like I was on the right track. It's just sometimes the outcomes or the fights are close, and the outcome goes a different way. Like I said, most people feel San Hango won, so then I would have won the bet if that were, you know, that's the way most people feel that I would have won the bet. It's a betting thing. It's like people think, you know, oh, you you know, you lost this. It's like, hey, if was I was I, you know, on the mark of how the fight was going to look like, then I don't feel bad about losing that bet. And the odds, you know, the bet wasn't that big compared to the 
$500,000 that I bet on the Joe Joyce fight. I wish I would have won it. I felt like I was, even when I thought Dillashaw won, I was like hoping, like, damn, maybe they'll just give it to Sanhagen. It's that close to go either way. Didn't happen. They want the, the way of the takedowns. They want that way of the body lock. And the UFC is going to, and the MMA community are going to have to decide what they want. Because honestly, the fans, they want stand-up fight. And even DC said at one point, he says, I'm a wrestler, but sometimes when guys go for takedown, I'm like, no, 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 keep this fight standing. It's true. It's like, what's more entertaining? That's how the fight should be judged to that point. I really feel that way. I also feel that a judge, we shouldn't have a judge at a different, looking at a different angle from every part of the cage or ring. So that's one perspective, another perspective, or another perspective, and it's all different than the perspective that the guy watching on TV has. It just causes confusion. And you say, like, well, how did one judge have it 116 to 112, and another judge had it 114, 114? How did that happen? Well, could it be because they're looking from three different spots? And, you know, when you go, go to court and they have witnesses, and they're like, where were you looking from? And they show this angle, and it gets a whole different perspective than the person looking on the other side. These are things that I've never understood the logic to. I feel like the boxing judges should be watching from a screen, same angle, Both all three judges watch from the same angle, all watching what the fans at home are watching because that's the majority of the fans that are watching, not what the crowd's watching. That's what I feel like. These are things that I think we're getting closer to because it's affecting both sides of both sports. And I think people, you know, yeah, Twitter, and you have more people voicing their opinion. Before there would be a robbery, and people would be mad about it, but no one could really voice their opinion. Now you have Twitter, you have social media, everyone's getting on there and just voicing their opinion and getting bothered by it. I think we have to really get a definition of what we're doing here. I heard Lou DiBella talking about the judging and just how it's, you know, not saying that everyone's crooked, but it leaves a lot of spots to be crooked. It leaves a lot of... It leaves a lot of spots where you're like, is this... Is this not, you know, is it legal? Is it right? Is it above board? It's very, very gray area. It's really gray area. And I don't know how, you know, the UFC does their MMA. And I'm not even sure, like, I'm not sure if the TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen really affects, you know, the UFC enough to where, like, let's fix this fight in favor of TJ Dillashaw. I'm not sure, you know, TJ Dillashaw is that big of a star. He's known, but he's not that big a star. I think if Corey Sanhagen wins that fight, I think he'd be just as big as a star as TJ Dillashaw would be, is, or would be. So I'm not saying that they did that, like, oh, this is what they did for this fight. But I just think that the judges, we got to know them. We got to, they have to be graded just like the fighters are graded. They have to be, um, there just has to be a process to it. And I don't believe we have that right now. I don't believe that we have everything that is open to the fans and we don't have the, everybody's not looking judging this fight with the same perspective, right? Like, if NFL, the rules are very open to the fans. So the fans may not like a rule, but they understand why it happened. I don't think that the fans understand why the judge is, judging is happening that way or what the judge is looking for other than what you're looking for. I don't think that's happening. And I keep voicing that, and I keep saying it. And we hopefully we get to a solution soon. But thank you for listening on this Sunday, the Sunday special Ezra podcast featuring Atticus.